0: give me the news
1: this is the docs and jocks sports medicine show on sb nation radio
0: and on sbnationradio.com
1: live from the o'reilly auto parts studios here's dr dan and ferris
2: Hey, welcome to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Great to have you joining us today. We are a sports entertainment show coming with a sports medicine niche. And what we do is we talk about what's going on in the sports entertainment world, but we maybe talk about your favorite in- your favorite player that has an injury, your favorite team that might uh, be dropped in the standings because of an injury, what that injury entails, how it happens, how will you get better from it. We uh, also... Love to take your calls and love to take your questions. And you can ask Dr. Dan, myself, a longtime sports medicine physician, your question by going to d o x n j o x D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, and uh, send us your question by contacting me, and we'll try and get your question uh, on air and answer that. I'm not taking the place of your sports medicine physician, but just trying to point you in the right direction, get you back out on the field again. And I am joined each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter. Ferris is the longtime sports broadcaster for Grand Canyon University. Ferris, thanks for being on the show today. Absolutely. Doing well. Not doing quite as well as Manny Machado. Oh, but doing well. my goodness. Yeah, not many of us are doing as well as Manny Machado <laughs> right now, man. We're going to talk about that in our first hour here on Docs and Jocks and what that uh, entails and what he signed for. And we're going to talk about some of the injuries he's had in his career, which are very interesting. I'd forgotten some of the injuries he's had and how that might affect... Uh, some of the long-term uh, five-year options he's going to have. So we'll talk about the Manny Machado deal and many more uh, injuries in the news right now. We're going to have on also... Uh, coach Jesse Burleson, the uh, head football coach at the Powerhouse Division III football program, Hardin-Simmons University, who was the winningest team for an entire decade at any level of uh, college football from 2000 to 2010. Quite an amazing uh, run they've had there in Division III football, the Hardin-Simmons University Cowboys. And then we're going to try and have on Coach Andy Stankiewicz, longtime baseball coach with Grand Canyon University, as well as a uh, professional baseball player with the New York Yankees and several other clubs. We're going to have him and talking about uh, early college season baseball and all the great things going on there. So you won't want to miss what's going on on Docs and Jocks. Remember, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, uh, any social media you want to follow us on, uh, Twitter, by going to at DocsJocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. That's at Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Man, we'd love having you be part of our show anytime, anywhere. And we will be uh, right back with uh, not only your Docs and Jocks Sports Medicine Radio Show, but also our guest both coach jesse burleson and coach andy stink was here on docs and jocks dot com. we'll be right back after a short commercial break
1: This is the Docs and Jocks Sports Medicine Radio Show on SB Nation Radio.
0: And on SBNationRadio.com.
1: Presented by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios, here's Dr. Dan and Ferris.
2: Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Great to have you join us today. Remember, you can follow us on our iTunes podcast. Docs and Jocks, JOX. Hey, thanks for listening to the audience for making us one of the fastest-growing podcasts out there, man. It's great to be part of uh, the Docs and Jocks Nation, man. It's great to be part of the sports medicine world, which we're doing here on Docs and Jocks. Hey, Ferris, I thought we would uh, jump right into the biggest story in the news, and we'd do it from a, a little bit of a different standpoint. Obviously, you mentioned Manu Machado in the opening, and man, the sports world is shocked right now after he signs a 10-year, $300 million, or, or as I like to say, 10-year, a third of a billion dollars uh, contract, and so... Manny Machado, obviously, is 26 years old, so you have to state to yourself, this guy is absolutely an amazing baseball player. First of all, before we get into the injury standpoint, Manny Machado's injury history, tell me uh, your first take when you heard that he signed for 10-year, $300 million, which was the uh, gossip out on the street that that's what they were looking for. Were you shocked that he was both the first one to sign before Harper and he got what he wanted and it was with the Padres?
3: I hate saying this because I like Harper better uh, as a player and as an individual, but I think Manny's a better player than Harper. Um, so, um, yeah, I was a little shocked that he did it with, uh, the Padres. I, I thought for sure he was going to go to the White Sox for around that amount of money, but I thought it'd be more like seven or eight years. So a little shocked, um, thought it was a bad deal when I first heard it, but the more I've thought about it the last couple of days, um, I, man, I, I think it might be a pretty good deal. I mean, San Diego's going all in. They're going to try to compete with the Dodgers. Um, they're still going to be a while cause they have no pitching staff. But if they can build a pitching staff, they're going to have that same infield with Tatis coming up, with Manny, with Hosmer for the next five years for yeah. sure. They got Will Myers in outfield. I mean, Dang. you know, the more I thought about it, dude, you're invested money. Fans love it. Go for it. I think yeah. it's kind of exciting.
2: Yeah, they went out and got uh Kinsler and uh, Hosmer now, right? So you got a little bit of an aged uh you know, left side of the infield. So they're going to win it. They want to win it now. So you got Tatis Jr. coming up, supposed to be one uh, of the greatest shortstop he since Ozzie Smith. Yeah. And then you got Manny Machado, obviously a third gold glove winner multiple times, but I didn't remember if uh, I did remember these injuries. Did you remember Manny Machado's injuries? Have you uh, do you recollect what they are? I went up did the research. He had are really
3: bad like was it a knee injury or an Achilles injury? He had a really bad injury that was out for a long time. Yes. I remember that, just that one.
2: Yeah, two of them. So in 2013, he hurts one knee. I can't remember if it was left or his right, but in 2013, he dislocates his patella. So that's the, uh, obviously the kneecap. When it dislocates, it can easily come out again sometimes. And so what they did is they went and did a surgery called a lateral release where they released the, uh, out, the structures that want to pull the kneecap out. So that's a lateral release and they suture down the inside so they tighten up the medial aspect or the inside of the kneecap so your kneecap won't want to slide out. Some people, just the way your kneecap sits, sometimes how it rides very high, sometimes how it's tilted to the outside, sometimes how the groove that it runs in has a lower, shallow, lateral groove, It it just allows the kneecap to slide out. So a lot of that is genetically determined. And then there's some things you can do that make the lateral structures and stuff on the outside of your leg tighter that want to pull it over. So they do some of those releases to allow it to try and track normally so it doesn't come out again. But remember, he missed all the end of the 2013 season after the September injury. So he misses 2013. He does show up for opening day of 2014. Then in 2014, the other knee, he then undergoes a – he misses – it was really weird. I remembered it after I heard the story. As he had a weird check swing, and when he did, he felt something in his knee, and you're thinking, ah, oh, that's got to be nothing. You know, I mean, just, you check swing, man. You know, you kind of torque your knee a little bit. And you're like, yeah, how bad can that be? Right, right, Well, he ends up missing the entire rest of the season. That was in August, and he missed the rest of the season in 2014. So he missed the end of 2013 and a big chunk of 2014, hurting opposite knees. So... Two different knee surgeries with two different knee injuries. Both of them were kind of unusual in how they occurred. So, yeah, you know, when you're paying $300 million for a guy that's going to be 36 at the end of that uh, contract, potentially there's a five-year player option. You know, you always wondered about uh, the injuries. We've had two knee injuries in the same player, and a young guy had those at age 24 and 23, I believe. That's a pretty big deal, wouldn't you think?
3: Yeah. I mean, I... I think they're looking at it as a five-year deal. I I don't know why you would opt out of of $30 million a year when you're five years older. I don't think you're going to sign another longer deal. But you know what? It's a good job by the agent, and it's safety a little bit for the Padres. Because if somebody wants him really bad, they might be able to trade him for $35 million a year to, like, the, the Red Sox or somebody who wants to get over the hump. So I would imagine, though, he'll be there the entire time. I mean, like I said, I think he's a better player than Harper. I like Bryce Harper a lot better as of a, as a, the way he plays and everything. But if I look at their numbers over seven years, I feel like Machado is a better player than Harper and can do more for a team. And I, I don't think that Padres needed him as much as they needed a Machado. So we'll see. It's almost like – I mean, would you call this, Dr. Dan – if we don't win a World Series in the time that Manny Machado's here, was a bad deal?
2: Yeah. No, I would. I definitely would because that's what the Padres did last time. Remember, they went out and got a bunch of big-time players. Who was it? David Price and a couple other big free agents, and they just blew up. After a year or two over, they just blew everybody up and got rid of them all. So, yeah, no, yeah. I think the Padres are saying we're all in. We're all in it for right now. Hey, do you know the fan club, the fan base had just rolled their eyes when you said, I don't know why you would pay someone $30 million a year when they're age, you know, thir- you know five years into a uh, 10-year deal when they're age 26? The Angels? Yes, because that's exactly what they did with Albert Pujols, man. He was 31 years yeah. old, and they paid him 10 years, nearly $30 million a year. $240 million was the contract, and then he had all these incentive bonuses, which got it up to nearly $300 million a year. Hey, two contracts, free agent contract, Two, there's three of them ahead of Manny Machado. I think he's fourth all-time. Two of them are by the same player. Do you remember what player had a two-time free agency contract, which are bigger than the Machado deal? A-Rod. Yeah, A-Rod. I forgot that, 2000-2005.
3: Texas and New York, right? Yeah.
2: Same remember he had a bunch of injuries too. Same thing. He was out yeah. for a long extended period of time and and you know, I hey give me a— give me a Who's uh, the other one ahead of him? Is it Pools? Uh of course John Stanton is the largest deal of all time, but that wasn't like a free, wasn't, wasn't okay. a free wasn't a free agent deal. I'm uh forgetting the other one. But I just saw the last night and it just reminded me that A Rod was both a, a Ranger and a Yankee, but yeah, he had the two, two of two of the five top biggest ones ever were A Rod. So yeah. John Crow Stanton had an unreal deal. I mean, that's, that's crazy money they're talking about, but that wasn't a free agent deal. That was just a, a trade or whatever that was. That was a swap. The, swap Mar- yeah. the
3: the Marlins signed him to it, and then the Yankees took it over.
2: Yeah, and then Robinson Cano signed the huge one. You never really heard from him again. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So it's going to be interesting Seattle, to see how yeah. he does. Yeah, he's, he's going to be 20, 31 by the time he uh, decides to opt out for the five-year option if he does do that. And so then, like you said, it will be offering him uh, – someone will be having to pay him a lot of money, more than $30 million a year for the next five years. Wow. I don't know. Well, I, and hearing, I don't know the, what
3: they're going to do because Tatis doesn't want to play third, I'm sure. And Manny Machado said he wouldn't play third, so <laughs> and that was that was the only weird kind of head scratcher, to, a little bit to me. In that way, Harper might have fit better because you got Tatis at short, you know.
2: Yeah, of all the Manny Machado plays that you think of when you think of Manny Machado, what play comes to your mind? I'm going to tell you what one comes to my mind. Like, well, it was
3: it's so recently I think of him sliding high and spiking twice and getting yeah. getting called out for interference twice, and then. Those are the two, and then trying to trying to trying to kick uh, was it uh, was a Moreland trying to kick the first baseman in the foot when he was running oh, down the third? Oh yeah,
2: no, the one I remember. Those are all great ones because there's a lot of Manny Machado moments. Is when he uh, hits the ball with the Dodgers, he hits the ball and he thinks he jacks a home run. Is in the World Series and he thinks it's gone and it doesn't leave the ballpark and he ends up getting a single because he was home run trotting it for the first three hot dogging it, hot dogging it. And he only got a single on a ball that goes to the left field wall. I mean, yeah, crazy. Yeah, he's got some interesting plays for a guy paying him. Thirty million or three hundred million for ten years. Woo! A lot of money. A lot of money. Sounds like Monopoly money, man.
3: Yeah, I I agree though. I mean, you look at the look at the Diamondbacks. They gave Zach Greinke a massive contract, and they didn't win a World Series. They didn't even win a playoff series with him. That was a huge bust because because of that, they lost AJ Pollock and they lost Paul Goldschmidt. Had they not signed Greinke, they could have resigned both those guys. Yeah, but I'd they see- put all their money in on Greinke. And yeah. now they're, now they're going to be behind not only the Dodgers,
2: but for sure the Rockies and the Padres in that division, and maybe the Gi- Giants. I know. It is crazy, man. It's crazy how fast things change in the tight end uh, sports, man. Yeah, because just a few years ago, we were talking about the Arizona Diamondbacks being a team that was going to be reckoned with and possibly a World Series contender. Now they're... A couple. Yeah. 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 Hey, I'm going to jump over to a different sport real quick and talk about... Uh, we just got another minute here. One of the greatest feats of all time, Alex Hanold. He, Hanold he's 33 years old, Ferris. He... He free-climbed El Capitan. El Capitan, for those who uh, aren't into uh, free-climbing, 3,000 foot of sheer granite. He free-climbed it with no ropes, no nothing, except his little hands and feet climbing up this thing. Considered one of the most difficult technical climbs in the world. Alex did it in 3 hours and 56 minutes. The average technical climb takes 24 hours. He did it in 3 hours and 56 minutes, no ropes, only person ever to do it. Had a uh, cameraman with him who was uh, roped in, and uh, his team consisted of he and his wife. So would your wife, one, let you climb El Capitan at uh, severe risk and peril to your life? Or, and would you consider that, fair? 15
3: seconds. Uh, number one, certain times she would encourage me to climb El Capitan <laughs> with no rope. And number
2: two, not a chance. Not a chance. Yeah, way to go, man. That's pretty cool. Cool piece. So hey, we're right back with more Docs and Jocks after this short commercial break. This
1: is the Docs and Jock Sports Medicine Radio Show on SB Nation Radio. Live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Dr. Dan and Ferris.
2: Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Awesome to have you join us today. Remember, you can follow us anytime, anywhere. If you're not in our listening audience on a regular basis, you can follow us on our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, Docs and Jocks. Love you to be part of our show that way as well. Joined each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician. And, Ferris, we have online a good friend of, uh, not only a good friend of ours, but also a good friend of Docs and Jocks, Coach Jesse Burleson. Coach Burleson was an All-American center at the Hardin-Simmons University, my alma mater, as well as Coach Burleson's, and has been the head football coach uh, where he was assistant football coach for a long time under Coach Jimmy Keeling, and then he took over the range from Coach Keeling and is now leading that program, the uh, great things again. They uh, were the winningest program from 2000 to 2010 of any college in the in the, uh, the United States as far as winning percentage. They put up some numbers. If you haven't heard of Division three football powerhouse, Hardin-Simmons University, man, go check it out. It is an amazing program. Coach Burleson, thanks for being on Docs and Jocks.
4: Hey, I'm glad to do it, man. Anytime I get the opportunity to get to visit with you guys, I definitely want to take advantage of it. So it's fast and furious, but I definitely wanted to uh, put some time aside to be able to visit with you guys yeah. today.
2: Well, I appreciate it, man. It's always good to have you on. So right now, for those who uh, don't know how college football works, you know, some people think, oh, you have a job that just lasts a few months when the season's going, but <laughs> honestly, tell us about what it's like in the off season. I know you guys are on the recruiting road right now. You're going all over the nation looking for great football players, and by the way, if you're a great football player, you need to play at Hardin-Simmons University. If you want just to play a game that is real, true, hard-nosed football, Division Three is a place you need to play. Tell us what that recruiting road is like.
4: Uh, You know, it's actually kind of crazy because everybody assumes that we're busiest, you know, actually in season, but uh, very honestly, whenever it comes time for recruiting, it's actually busier because it it never stops. It's 24-7, and uh, so my staff and I, you know, as soon as we, uh, um, you know, finished our our run this year at the playoffs and everything, we, we immediately... Came in and started targeting those next guys for the for this recruiting class, and uh, so we spent several weeks on the road, and then we've had uh, we've actually had sixteen on campus visits. Oh at this point. wow, wow! And so that's uh, it's a uh, it's an awesome time because you get to you know hopefully paint a picture of what these these young men and what their future is going to look like, uh, not only on the field but off the field as well. So it's a lot of fun, but it, it does take up a lot of time. So we're we're probably about ninety. 90- Eight percent done with this class. We just have one or two guys that we're still kind of uh, working on in one or two
2: positions that we need to fill. But for the most part, we're, we're pretty much done. Right. First, have a question for Coach Burleson?
3: Yeah, Coach. Most of your guys uh Texas boys? Do you, you, you venture out to the other states much?
4: Yeah, not really. It's usually uh, if we get somebody from out of state, probably Something that uh, they have uh, some type of connection with Harden Simmons. You know, it's uh, it's pretty rare because Texas is such a re, you know fertile recruiting ground that we don't really have uh, the, the time and, and, and really resources to really go out of state much, and we don't really uh, spend a lot of time on that. We did actually go to California and Arizona for the junior colleges this year and uh, trying to target a few guys that way. But other but most of our high school guys are going to be from right here in uh, the Lone Star State.
2: You know, you always have a lot of holes to fill, you know, just because guys graduating this year seems like maybe there's a few bigger holes because some of the guys that are graduating, we just had amazing, amazing careers like Reese Childress, your wide receiver. I think Chris Miller, maybe your linebacker, uh, maybe is moving on. So tell us about some of those places, guys you're looking for, positions you're looking for, and some of those great players you had the last four years.
4: Yeah, it's going to be tough. Uh, I don't know if you ever really replace those guys. You hope that you can replace the uh, the production, but uh, those guys are going to be even tougher to replace in the locker room because they were such great leaders and such great role models. But we had uh, 32 seniors this year, which oh, wow. is uh, pretty. Yeah, which is a huge class in Division three because it's very difficult to uh, to be able to finish uh, everything up in your career. So um, we had 32 seniors, but we also had 16 medical red shirt, which is uh, one of those deals where we had a, just an injury plague season. So we'll get some of those guys back to be able to hopefully fill some of those holes. But, uh, you know, we did graduate some pretty phenomenal guys. We had nine senior offensive linemen. Oh, is, yeah. Uh, cool. There, there's some teams that don't have nine linemen, you know. Yeah, nine true. So that's probably going to be one of the biggest neat areas for us to fill. And then all three of our uh, linebackers that started and played the majority of the time were all seniors. So yeah. that's really the two areas that we're looking to, to be able to reload and then for some guys that are here to step up and for some of those new guys to be able to push for some playing time.
3: You bet. Paris. Hey, Coach, outside of, you know, obviously you want football players, right? But outside of that, are there one or two things you're looking for in guys, mainly maybe that you don't see in the tape or on the field, but you, when you talk to them you're looking for?
4: Uh, that's a great question because we actually recruit backwards, uh, which doesn't make sense to a lot of people. Uh, but the first thing that we always want to check on is a young man's character. That That is first and foremost with us. So we go directly to the – uh, their their head coach and their position coaches. We don't really use recruiting services. We use uh, direct recruiting. We go directly to the source. And uh, if there's ever a red flag with the with the guy's character, we just we exit them and we move on to the next one because there's just not. You know, we're not saying all of our guys are saints or that they're perfect, but we we definitely um, we definitely want to have the right kind of guy in our locker room. And then the second thing we look at is is their academic ability. Are they willing to put in the hard work over the long haul? Uh, you know, the, the test scores and stuff like that, that's what a lot of people put emphasis on. But we really look at what they did over all four years. And then the third thing, we look and see if they're great football players. So we actually recruit backwards where a lot of teams are going to look at the, you know, the film first and see what kind of players they are. And then hopefully the other stuff fits in that. But we kind of do it backwards. So it's character academics, and then we look at football.
3: Coach, that that's awesome. But i got to take exception. Dr. Dan told me that everybody that goes to Arden Simmons is a saint. What, what are you talking about? <laughs>
4: Well, uh, well, uh, well, we'll have to agree to disagree on
2: yeah. that. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't think Dr. Dan was actually the same when he was at Arden Simmons, so I don't know, I don't know what hey, to say when, there.
4: Hey, when you're 18, 19, 20 years old, you might make one or two
2: mistakes. <laughs> That's right. It's a bunch That's of knuckleheads, right? right. <laughs> yeah, I, I think your lovely wife Lois said it best one time, and it put it in perspective, and I never had really thought of it. She goes, I said, uh, we we're talking about the stress of uh, being a football coach and then being a football coach's wife, and she said, how would you like it if your entire uh, financial uh, and your entire career depended and was put in the hands of 19- to 21-year-old 20, men. I was like, oh, my gosh, that's true, man. I never even <laughs> thought about that, man.
4: Yeah, it's, it's a different world. It's a, it's a, every day is a new day, I can tell you that.
2: Yeah. Hey, tell our listening audience, because you do a great thing with the Lineman Challenge. Tell them what that's about and how people can find out about it and get their kids involved in it. And, uh, man, we'd love to have a lot of great linemen come do the Lineman Challenge and find out about Hardin-Simmons University. So spread the word a little bit.
4: Uh, sure. What we do is we actually have, we have three qualifying events and then we, we host the state championship lineman challenge for the entire state of Texas too. So it's a, it's an opportunity for the big bodies to get to, get to come in and compete. Uh, we have nine different events. You know, we, we have a truck push, we have a tug of war, we have a bench press competition. It's all those kinds of things that, uh, that the, the linemen, they love to do because, you know, basically all summer, all they get to do is work out. They don't get to do seven on seven and those kinds of things. So, uh, we want to give them the opportunity to get to come and compete with their with their teammates, and uh, it's, it's an awesome event. I think last year we probably had uh, anywhere between 24 and 40 teams at each of the qualifying events, and we had 44 teams here for the state championship, which was a pretty awesome deal to have, you know, five or 600 offensive and defensive linemen just out here competing their tails off and working with their brothers and so we'll be getting that. That information will be coming out soon, uh, probably within the next 10 days of all the dates. And it'll be on our website. It'll be on our Twitter page. It'll be everywhere that you can uh, possibly imagine. But it's uh, if you're an offensive or defensive lineman and you have any desire to compete in the summer, I don't think there's any, any way better to do it than, than coming to the Harden Suns University lineman show.
2: Harden simmons has put up a lot of records. For those who don't know, uh, the... the... Uh, incredible program they've had over the years. They've put up tons of records uh, offensively for points scored, rushing, th- I mean, throwing the ball, touchdowns, you name it. But it all starts with the linemen, and I think that's one of the things that's got overlooked uh, at Hardin-Simmons University. They had great linemen like you, Coach Burleson, All-American linemen. You know, you, if you don't win the trenches, it doesn't matter if you, your quarterback drops back and he's got another lineman in his face, and that's, I think, one of the reasons why Hardin-Simmons has set so many offensive records. Once again, they've had great quarterbacks, great running backs, great wide receivers. But we got to talk about some of those linemen and the stuff they've done, and some of the great ones you've had over the years.
4: Yeah, I mean that—that's where it all starts. It, it starts with the O and D line, and if you can—if you can dominate up there, then the, the chances of you winning go up dramatically. And so that's where we, you know, we kind of start from the inside and work our way out because there's a lot of great skill players. But I think the thing that you have to do, especially with offensive linemen, is you have to develop those guys because everything that we do is very unnatural. You know, pass setting and zone stepping and, and those things, they're not what you were doing as a kid in the front yard. You know, yeah. you were, you were yeah. brought into catching and throwing and doing those things. So uh, we take a lot of pride in being able to develop our guys and and give them the tools that they need to be successful. And uh, we, we truly believe that it starts up front with that O&D line. If you can be good there, you can be good just about anywhere.
2: Absolutely. fierce. Hey, Coach, I,
3: you know, I agree with Dr. Dan. I mean, everybody in football, you got, you got to be able to protect your quarterback and pressure the other guy's quarterback. But what, what makes a good offensive lineman specifically? What are some of the key attributes you're looking for in a kid?
4: I think the number one thing is that a lot of people would assume they have to be a certain size, a certain build, you know, be able to lift a certain amount of weight and all that kind of stuff. We we actually take the opposite approach. You know, the first thing that I look for is, is football important to him. If he has a passion, I think we can develop him. I, you know, you're usually not going to be the best athletes, or not going to be the fastest, or or anything like that, but. If it's very important to them, I believe that you can teach them the techniques and the skills. I do believe they have to have a little bit of a mean streak in them. I think that they have to be a guy that is uh, very uh, focused on the attention to detail because the little things add up to huge things up front. So that's kind of what we look for. We look for a guy that's passionate. We look for a guy that that has a little nasty in him and then uh, a guy that's very detail-oriented.
2: Hey, here in the last minute, we always got to say something great about your mentor and mine both. Uh, Coach Jimmy Keeling was on last week, always gained a lot of wisdom from him. What was it like playing for the great legendary Coach Jimmy Keeling?
4: Oh man, it is. Uh, you can't really put it into words because we, you know, whenever us former players, whenever we get around each other, we 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 we'd laugh and we joke. But the stuff that he ingrained in us, we still say it. We hear it every single day. And his, uh, you know, his uh, his voice is very distinct. I guess is a good yeah. way to put it. Yeah. So we still hear those things that yeah. he used to tell us, and we still say it. But it was the truth, and uh, more importantly, you know, what he taught me was being a good coach is not just about. You know what you do on the field. is what you teach these guys about being husbands and fathers and and great young men, and that's what we try to continue on and and try to improve on every single day.
2: Well, he raised a good one to you, Coach Burleson. I want to say uh, good luck to you and uh, good luck to the Hardin-Simmons Cowboys. Stay purple and uh, play hard, man. Love having you on. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. All right. We'll be right back for Docs and Jocks' Sports Medicine Radio Show after this short commercial break.
1: This is the Docs and Jocks Sports Medicine Radio Show on SB Nation Radio.
0: And on SBNationRadio.com.
1: Presented by Quicken
2: Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios, here's Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks Sports Medicine Radio Show. Awesome to have you joining us today. Man, if you missed any of our great interviews we ever had and want to catch uh, catch up on one, one of the ones you missed, you can do so by going to docsandjocks.com dot com And there you find any interview you might have uh, missed in the past. We'd love to be part of our show anyway, anytime you can. I am joined each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter. Ferris is the voice of Grand Canyon University. Ferris, gives us a little quick update on the Grand Canyon University Antelopes, what they're doing with their basketball team, the great Dan Marley, Thunder Dan, at the helm.
3: 15-10, and 8-4 um, in the conference, second place in the conference. Um, and uh, about five more games left, and then it's up to Vegas for the tournament. And you win the tournament, you go to... The big dance, so uh, Lopes are open to get on a little bit of a run here going into that, and then baseball just started. Got to call my first baseball game with the Lopes. They played Stanford, didn't go too well. Stanford has got a great team. They got six guys that are going to be drafted in the top five rounds wow. on that roster. Yeah, and they're picked second in the Pac-12. The Pac-12 Woo, is loaded. loaded this year with UCLA, yeah. Oregon State, ASU, U of A. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, but that was a lot of fun. Uh, Andy's got his team at two and two. Andy Stankwitz, uh, ex major leaguer with the Yankees. And the Lopes coach for in his eighth season, and he's actually this weekend testing his team again. Is at TCU for oh, three. Oh, that's Boom. a good one, man!
2: Yeah, and those boys oh, are in Fort they, Worth. Wow, that's awesome! Yeah. I'm gonna be over there watch my son play. So I may head over and watch a little uh, Horn Frog Antelope baseball. You won't see that very often. The Horn Frogs playing the Antelopes.
3: No, last year uh, Coach Lossnick was gracious enough came up and played us three games at yeah, Phoenix that. to, yeah. to, the to uh, launch the new Brazzle Field at yeah. GCU Ballpark. So this is uh, Andy's return trip down there, and uh, you know they struggled. Uh, TCU a little bit last year, but really turned it on down the stretch, and I thought they were going to win the Big 12 tournament and make it into the tournament because I think they might have gone deep because they, they played pretty poor early on in the middle, but man, they turned it on this year. They are stacked, though, as he always does, Coach Sloshning. So it'll be a good test for the uh, for the Lopes.
2: You know, I'm a little nervous about going to that game, though. I'm worried about the ticket prices because I just heard that the uh, University of North Carolina Duke tickets uh, this week uh, are priced at 2500 bucks. So is that what the TCU uh, Grand Canyon Antelope game is going for, the baseball game?
3: A little bit less. <laughs> Take a couple zeros off. Yeah, Good grief. 2500 bucks to yeah. watch Duke beat North Carolina. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say that?
2: Yeah. Just as, Yeah. Just, uh, one just went for $2,674. So
3: I mean, is there any sporting event that you would pay $2,500 for one seat to see?
2: Can I go back in history and watch a game that's already been played that can go back in history? Well, let's, and play that let's do like just can in general like right now. For, oh, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. Like I've, I love baseball, but I never
3: pay that much for one ticket to a World Series. I mean, the Royals were in it, and I didn't even fly back and pay yeah. money to see that. Super you know? Bowl
2: tickets will get up into that realm. They'll get in that that air, You know, that, I have no
3: interest in going to a Super Bowl.
2: I know. I think it's watching it from the from my house is even better because I get to watch the commercials and you know, way better. Yeah, I get to watch the actually hear the music. But if I could go back in time in a time machine and let's watch a game, I would love to go back and watch the. 1951, uh, Bobby Thompson shot her around the world, you know, Giants win the pennant, Giants win the pennant. That would be a fun one to go to. I'd like to go back and watch um, the Yankees play the Pirates in 1961 when Bill Mazeroski in Game 7 hit the walk-off home run. That would be a fun one to watch. Obviously, the Kirk Gibson, uh, I can't believe what I just saw, Jack Buck call, would be a really, really fun one to go back and watch the time. Off Eckersley. So,
3: you know, the fun thing about going back to see those in time is right before that play, you could nudge the guy next to you and say he's going yard. <laughs> going yard baby.
2: Boom. Yeah. Or you could go to the Babe Ruth when he threw a, a shutout complete game in the World Series and say this guy's leaning the next guy and say this guy's going to be the greatest home run hitter of all time.
3: <laughs> I'd be like, you're insane. You're dude. an idiot. You're insane. You're an idiot.
2: He's a great pitcher. Why would you yeah, ever make him an You're outfielder? picking
3: all of them go back in time once, huh? Yeah. yeah that'd that'd be kind of I would cool do, do that. I'd
2: You'd pay $2,500 to see one of those? I would because you know the outcome and I could get to see it in person. Yeah, I'd probably do if that. If I could
3: pick my seat so I could be in the seat that the home run ball goes to. Then I could catch the ball. I'm trying to think what football game I would
2: go to. What football game would you go back in time and watch?
3: You know, I don't know. I'm not that big of a football you know, um, maybe buff. maybe the ice bowl, uh,
2: maybe where you got the uh, was it the uh, cowboy? Anybody just can you imagine how miserable that was watching that game? Uh, I guess so. It's like, yeah, negative like 20 below. Yeah.
3: You're gonna be like, I can't believe I paid 2,500 oh, bucks for this. You know I'm what? I'd crazy. like to go back
2: and watch because we've had Jerry Moore, Coach Jerry Moore, by the way. If you ever missed the interview, you can go back to docsandjocks.com, and listen to it. Coach Jerry Moore was the longtime coach for Appalachian State who won back to back to back, uh, one double A championships, and he went into Michigan in the big house. So, you got this little Appalachian State yep, playing the giant. It. And Michigan was ranked in the top five at that time, opening yep. game. And they went in, they played a great game. 34 32 was the final score. And Jerry Moore's team won, and they went crazy. The team did. I would, that that would be a game because I'd be rooting for Jerry Moore in Appalachian State because he's been on a radio show. Now, if Harbaugh came on a radio show, I might consider <laughs> rooting for Michigan. But Jerry Moore did. And so, that was a great game. I'd go watch that one.
3: Yeah, I think a fun game would have been like the Frank Reich comeback game in oh, the second half yeah, against the Houston, you know, because it was yeah. just. Because you could just see it unfold. I tell you, the, the best game I've ever been to, Dr. Dan, and I got free tickets. I was entertaining some people from work down from Boise in Arizona for the Fiesta Bowl to watch Boise take on Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. And I went yep. to that game. It was a Fiesta Bowl, and Boise won it in overtime. Yep. They went for two in overtime, did the hook and ladder, did a, did a Statue of Liberty to win the game, and— Uh, Chris Peterson, who's now up at Washington, said, yeah, we went for two because we just we were dead. Like they're so much bigger than us. We couldn't we couldn't stay with them. We had to win it there or lose it. And it's funny because my brother had never been to a a sporting event, a a football game ever. And that's the first game he ever went to. (laughs) And as soon as it ended, everybody's going crazy. He looks at me, goes, are they all like this? (laughs) And I said, Sam, you should never go to another sporting event. Just that's your first and your last because it ain't (laughs) ever going to be like this.
2: That's all. Awesome. That was crazy. That game. Oh, that that sounds like a crazy game. What a fun. I do remember that game. I remember the. I don't remember all the details of it. And the heard.
3: guy, and the guy who caught it, he proposed to his wife, the, the cheerleader, right after the game. The running Dang, back,
2: man. Oh wow. Yeah. It was That's a good a, night for, good, for good, Boise. Hey, absolutely. Hey, uh, speaking of uh, old time baseball, we lost a great one uh, this week. We lost Don Newcomb. And those who don't know Don Newcomb, he wasn't as well known as Jackie Robinson. He was, I believe, he was just a third or fourth. Um, African-American pitcher, black pitcher, to come and play. He played in the Negro Leagues, and then he made the transition over into Major League Baseball, pitched for the Brooklyn Dodgers. And he dies at age 92 of an extended medical illness. He is the only pitcher, and here's a trivia question for you, Ferris. I'm going to test your baseball knowledge. It's kind of hard, but you might get it. You're good. The only pitcher to win Rookie of the Year, Cy Young, and the MVP award. Don, Don Newcomb won the MVP award. It's pretty amazing for a pitcher. Who who that He was the only one to do it until more recently. A recent pitcher who's still pitching today also did the same thing. He won the Rookie of the Year, the Cy Young, and the MVP. Don Newcomb was the only one to do it until who?
3: Rookie of the Year, Cy, Cy Young. Young, and MVP.
2: Yeah. Yep.
3: Hmm. Boy, that's a tough one. I feel
2: like we ought to have that Jeopardy music playing.
3: Theme. Yeah, we should have that one going. I don't, I don't want to waste everybody's time by me thinking here. Yeah. And he's still pitching today. Yeah. Yep. Rookie of the Year. Cy Young and MVP. MVP. Gosh, I don't know.
2: Justin Verlander did it.
3: I was thinking Verlander might be the only one that did it, but I couldn't remember back far enough if he ever got a Rookie of the Year. That's amazing for a pitcher to win Rookie of the Year. Rookie of the Year. I I think the MVP There aren't that
2: many pitchers that win MVP. I think uh, Clay Kershaw did it. But I guess Kershaw did not win Rookie of the Year, which I'm wondering who beat him. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, but he he was open. uh, Don Newcomb was about his uh, struggle with alcoholism, said it ended his career early. He uh, spent a lot of his time counseling baseball players like the great Maury Wills. We've had his son Bump Wills on who struggled with alcohol uh, after he uh, beat his uh, addiction with uh, alcoholism. He was one of the, you know, really, the other thing he's not known for that a lot of people know, and I didn't know this I was reading his uh, obituary, one of the greatest hitting pitchers of all time. So when he finishes playing, he finishes his major league baseball career, he goes to Japan, plays in their professional baseball league, but does he pitch? No. He plays as an outfielder. And he hits, like, 20 home runs for in in Japan playing professional baseball there. He hit, like, I think it was 17 home runs in his career. One year he hit seven home runs in one year. They would oftentimes pinch hit Don Newcomb in a baseball game on his off days from pitching to let him get some more at-bats. He was that good of a hitter. So, anyway, pretty cool that he started the Negro Leagues, became a base, became a, in the big leagues. He dies in 92, so we'll have to give our uh, condolences to the great Don Newcomb, one of the great pitchers. We're a real gentleman of baseball, kind of one of those guys that – you know, uh, like Buck O'Neill, was kind of an ambassador for the game of baseball. I love Don yeah. Newcomb. So, anyway, so long to him. Do you have uh, any m- 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 memories of uh, Don Newcomb? That was a great era. They had Jackie Robinson, Roy Campanella, Don Newcomb. Just a great era of baseball.
3: I just remember those guys were tough, tough sons of guns, man. I yeah. mean, to put up with all the racism they went through and to play the way they played. Um, and uh, I just remember they were honor. You know, back then, pitchers could be a little honory, You know, they could buzz you a little bit. They could yeah. they could uh, t- jaw at you a little bit. Um and so they had to, you know. So, yeah, I just remember him being just a tough guy. And, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, we're in that era, right? We're seeing those guys going. And it's it's sad to see him. Frank Robinson, now Don Newcombe.
2: I know, Don. Yeah, and then just before that, not too long ago, we lost uh, the great Buck O'Neill, who's the guy that yeah. uh, played with it, Satchel Page. Satchel Page called him Nancy. I mean, what a great nickname that mm-hmm. is. <laughs> Satchel, odd nickname, anyway, I should say. Not a great nickname. I don't want it. But uh, in honor of President's Week, Ferris, I thought we could uh, give a little uh, talk about um one of the presidents and talk about the secret service so mike rowe of dirty jobs who i absolutely love his uh, i follow him on he's great yeah face, facebook and now he has a podcast called the way i heard it and he talks about uh, this secret service agent he just came across sitting in a bar and this guy came up to him and gave him a card called the clint and Clint hill is his name and he is 87 years old clint is a secret service agent for five presidents he writes wrote a book called five presidents he, all of them started before reagan and uh, he's best hmm. known that how I remember him. He's the Secret Service agent that jumps on the back of the car in the Kennedy assassination. Oh, really? Covered, covered yeah. Jack, remember, there's a guy that jumped on the back of the car and's speeding yep. off, and he's hanging on to his dear life on the on the road as they're speeding off. So I thought I'd do a little uh, research on what Secret Service agents have to do to keep themselves physically fit to be like Clint and, and uh, protect presidents' lives. So they go to an 11 week school called Criminal Investigation Training Program, which includes physical training, 18 week Secret Service agent uh, course. And then you must be at peak physical condition. Mandatory testing in multiple different areas. So they have to do push-ups, sit-ups, run a mile and a half. So they want to run. They have to run a mile and a half in uh, under uh, ten minutes and eleven seconds is the uh, goal, or ten minutes and sixteen seconds. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good pace. What is that pace? Yeah. You figure that out. You got to do uh, sit-ups in a minute. You have to do, be able to do forty-seven chin-ups. You got in a minute. You got to do eleven chin-ups in a minute. And push ups in a minute you gotta do fifty five. So Secret Service agents have to always be at peak physical fitness to protect our commander in chief. But I thought that was a pretty cool story and I want to give Mike Rose, uh, from Dirty Jobs, who now does the way I heard it, give a plug to his podcast as well.
3: Yeah, Mike Rose awesome, man. That that's pretty cool. I mean, uh, um, that's an ama- I mean the gosh, he was the Kennedy guy. That's amazing those stories, man.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. So he was the guy that jumped on the back, and he has five presidents that he took care of. Since Mike Rowe mentioned it, probably now that he, we mentioned on Docs and Jocks, this book's going to even take off more. It's already on New York Seller's Best uh, Seller now that Mike Rowe brought it up. But he wrote this book called Five Presidents, and it's taken off. I want to get the book now and read about it because a guy that was with all five presidents, that's that's remarkable, man. So, But I didn't know that they had to be at that peak of physical shape, physical condition all the time. But thats I mean, you would expect that because— they might have to run and jump on the back of a car, right? They might have to run and jump in front right. of a bullet like the guy did for uh, Reagan. Remember, the Secret Service agent uh, got shot. They took that guy down. You might have to be uh, Rosie Greer, who, uh, remember, he tackled Sirhan Sirhan when, uh, you know, uh, Robert Kennedy uh, got shot. So lots of crazy stuff that you're doing. when You put your life on the line for another individual for sure. But, yeah, we want to send out a big thank you to all the Secret Service agents here on uh, President's Week who keep our presidents alive for the most part, you know, do a great job and try and do a lot of stuff that none of us would ever want to do.
3: Yeah, that's amazing. Amazing. Yeah.
2: Yep. So, hey, what's amazing is our listeners here on Docs and Jocks. We want to say thank you to our wonderful listeners. Remember, you can follow us on iTunes podcast, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Hey, appreciate you guys making it one of the fastest growing podcasts out there. When we come back, we'll be in our last short segment. We're going to introduce our mental strength minute coach, Coach Tracy Mutton, after this short commercial break.
0: Sometimes one of the most difficult things for an athlete to work on is attitude. When things don't always go the way the athlete envisions, he doesn't get the playing time he wants, he feels the coach is unfair, or maybe teammates treat him poorly, it can be very easy for him to pout or vent his frustrations verbally, and maybe even sometimes physically. But usually, this does not ever help make the situation better. It's important for the athlete to learn how to take negative situations and learn from them and develop problem-solving skills to improve his situation. The great coach Tony Dungy once said, you can complain about it or feel sorry for yourself. But how are you going to make the situation better? This is such great advice. Here at the Edge Mental Strength Training, we work with athletes to help them deal with any negative situations they might face and to develop a plan for coping and making their situation better. If you would like to learn more about this, you can reach us by clicking on our link at docsandjocks.com. This has been your Mental Strength.
1: This is the Docs and Jocks Sports Medicine Radio Show on SV Nation Radio. Live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Dr. Dan and Ferris.
2: Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Hey, appreciate you being uh, part of our listening audience out there in our sports medicine show and talking about what's going on in the injury world. Man, I appreciate that. I also appreciate you all sending us your questions. If you ever want to send in a uh, question that may be your injury, a knee, a hip, a back, a shoulder? Uh, maybe just send it to uh, docsandjocks.com. Click the contact button and send me that. Hey, Ferris, I thought here in the last couple minutes, remember we are a two-hour show, but our first hour is on the SB Nation hour. So if you want to flip over to our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, catch our second hour, you are welcome to. And I thought we could talk about uh, the Lakers are privately concerned. This is the report that's out there now. We talked about this last week with LeBron James' loss of mobility since returning from his groin injury. Remember, we talked about him packing on the poundage, man, while he was off. He got his weight, I think, ballooned up to like 280. So uh, now the uh, there's been a little concern, a little talk out there in Laker land that LeBron isn't quick, quite as quick uh, and agile since his groin injury and gaining that weight. So should the Lakers have a little concern with the King being a little slower and a little heavier and a little less mobile?
3: No, the Lakers are going to play <laughs> Steph Curry and Kevin Durant. In the Western Conference Finals, they will lose, but they will get there. I don't know how they're going to make it and how they get there, but I do not bet against LeBron ever. I know. I know. With some of the stiffs he's dragged all the way to Conference Championships, I never bet against
2: him. Who was a little white point guard that he had that had the crazy name that just like had a crazy. Delvedova. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Delvedova. Yeah, that's out of St. Mary's. Yeah. Yeah, guy yeah. was great. Yeah. The Australian <laughs> rugger. Yeah, he's a tough guy that could uh, did his own thing, but yeah, I don't know. You know. LeBron finds a way, and that's what the great ones do, of getting their teams and dragging them along no matter who's with them. And, uh, yeah, you're probably right. They're going to figure out a way to get to the uh, Golden State Warriors. And uh, we're man, I would love to ask, uh, we'll get on Kevin Ray, a good friend of ours, and he's a uh, NBA analyst, and talk to him about whether or not these teams are gearing up for a post- Golden State Warrior era because that's definitely what it feels like. And what's your what's your feel out there with the Phoenix Suns? We have a pretty good young team. Are they just trying to gear up for a uh, post Golden State so they can make a run once uh, Steph Curry and those guys are done?
3: Yeah, there's not a lot of confidence that they know what they're doing up there. But um, yeah,
2: I, I think they are. I mean, why try that hard now? You're not going to beat them. Yeah, know? that's true. Hey, we're right back with more docs and Jocks. Stay tuned with us here in our second hour of your Sports Medicine Radio Show. Just catch us on SB Nation. So long this week. We'll see you next week. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Man, it is awesome having you joining us today. If you're just catching our second hour, and remember, you can catch our entire two hour show by going to docsandjocks.com, D O X N J O X.com, or our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D O X N J O X. I'm Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician, coming to you from deep in the heart of Texas in our Docs and Jocks radio studio with Texas Sport and Spine. Joined each week with my co host, Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University. Hey, Ferris, I thought we could uh, jump right in on, uh, on the deal with. Uh, Former legendary uh, University of Arizona basketball coach, o- Lute Olson. There's been a lot of news in the story about him. He is in, out, out in Phoenix where you are, man. He is uh, known as the, I don't know, what, godfather of basketball? Lute Olson. he is the man. But he is recovering. Yeah, I mean, he came to yeah. U of A
3: and just uh, made him a national powerhouse.
2: He absolutely did. And he's recovering from a minor stroke he had uh, this last Saturday He's expected to make a full recovery. So, I thought we could just talk about strokes and what caused them and uh, some things you can do to help prevent them. Remember, a stroke is of two types. A stroke is uh, where you lose oxygen to your brain for a short period of time or your spinal cord, your brain, your spinal cord. And you can have a uh, stroke due to a block in a blood vessel. We call that an ischemic stroke, we just don't get blood to it. Or you can have a uh, hemorrhagic stroke. And so where you bleed and then that stroke causes you to get uh, blood in the brain and it causes a real problem. So most common by far is an ischemic stroke, and that is due to, like, hypertension. You've probably heard of that before uh, We get high blood pressure and then someone gets their blood pressure so high that they have a stroke. It can be due to smoking. It can, it can be due to you throwing little clots off from your lungs or from your heart valves, those types of things. So really what you can do if you've had a stroke, a small one like that, a minor stroke, sometimes those are called transient strokes or transient ischemic attacks. You might have heard the term TIA. You can always make sure you're taking care of your blood pressure. You can make sure you're not a smoker. You can make sure that you're exercising routinely, which helps you lower your blood pressure, helps all good things in your body basically. And uh, make sure that you're getting checked routinely and checking for like your carotid arteries, making sure they're clear. And uh, if you have a family history of that, you really want to be on top of it. So, anyway, hopefully, Lou Olson will have a full recovery. He's a great basketball coach. And uh, here in our last thirty seconds, tell us uh, what he meant to uh, University or really the state of Arizona with regards to basketball.
3: Put him on the map. You know, he came out from Iowa, and uh, they were just U of A. They didn't do much. They were more of a football team. And uh, he became the best coach in the history, college coach in the history of the state, and uh, won national championships and put a bunch of guys in the NBA.
2: Yes, he did, man. They're, they've been a powerhouse really ever since he's been there, right? I mean,
3: Absolutely. Yeah,
2: I think of that uh, great, was it the uh, University of Arizona and Illinois game when Illinois eventually played North yep. Carolina in the finals? What a great team both of those guys had, but great great battle. And hey, we'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks, sports medicine radio show after this short commercial break. And remember, you can follow us on our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. We'll be right back.
5: To Docks and Jocks, brought to you in part by Buffalo Wild Wings, First Financial Bank, and MDI Abilete. Touchdown! Now back to more Docks and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris.
2: Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks. I am Dr. Dan. Joined each with my co-host Ferris Potter, coming to you from uh, the Docs and Jocks radio studio, deep in the heart of Texas, Man, Glad you have you be part of our listening audience. Hey, Ferris, I thought we'd jump into a guy that we haven't heard about in a long time. Uh, Dwight Howard is uh, looking to return to the uh, Wizards after having. An L4-L5 lumbar microdiscectomy, and uh, they said that this was done because he was having uh, severe pain that was traveling down his leg, and it was causing him hurt in the buttocks and then down the leg. And he was found to have a disc herniation at that l 4 5 level. And uh, right now, the Wizards are sitting at 24 and 34. They're 11th in the East right now. They uh, really have a minimal uh, chance to win. Now, their star player is uh, trying to one of their formerly star players, is trying to come back. So a disk just for our listening audience, your disc is a fancy little shock absorber. In your it's made like a jelly donut, and those ones in your lower back have a, a lot of – really a ton of weight on them because every time you bend forward, even in a sitting position, you're putting extra stress on that disc, which is made like a jelly donut. So imagine squeezing a jelly donut in the front when you bend over at your waist. So a guy the size of Dwight Howard who has to bend over and try and go after balls and do all that kind of stuff, putting a tremendous amount of stress on his lower back. He had a disc herniation, which is the jelly donut. Now the jelly of the jelly donut leaking out the back – and it puts pressure on the big nerves that run right behind it. you have heard people say they have sciatica. That's just a layman's term for a pinched nerve in their back. So it shoots pain down your leg because that's where the nerve goes to. Remember, the nerves in your lower back go down and feed the lower leg, whether it's your bowel, your bladder, whether it's the muscles in your leg, whether it's sensation on your skin. That's where that impulse is traveling through. So when the nerve is getting pinched, it's like a toothache in your back, and it lights you up. So a discectomy is when they trim off the jelly of the jelly donut when it leaks out. And it pushes out the back. They trim off that excessive disc herniation, so it stops pushing on the nerve. Problem is, is, that you still have the tear where the jelly of the jelly donut leaked out. So if you go and you bend over again, you have about a five times increased likelihood once you've had a disc herniation of having another disc herniation. So more of the jelly shoots out the uh, annular tear, we call it, and it gives you another problem. But it's really hard for a big man to come back from a disc herniation surgery and be back and playing because the chance of it happening again is still pretty high, and it's really debilitating for a while you just can't be out doing your thing so your core gets kind of weak and you have a lot of trouble trying to get back out of the court but I haven't heard Dwight Howard's name in a while Ferris I just haven't heard it when I saw this story and I'm like I almost forgot about him being in the NBA
3: two things number one uh you describe a lot of injuries you break them down that's my favorite one the diss that you ever do (laughs) because you talk about jelly donuts yes and number two until you mentioned his name I had no idea he was even playing this year
2: I know no idea yeah I know yeah, a guy that was really – man. remember when uh, Steve Nash, Dwight Howard, and who was he – who were they playing with? There's a third one. Was it Kobe Bryant? We're all going to be out in with the Lakers. Wasn't that the Lakers that had the great run there for the – uh, Yeah, was Nash was – yeah. And they had the picture yeah, on Nash the front was, of the yep. Sports Illustrated, and it just blew up. Remember Nash got – he got derailed by back pain, right? Didn't he go down with back pain, Nash?
3: Yeah, back and leg pain, yeah. Yeah,
2: and now Dwight Howard's out, and he's just – that was just a goofy era, man, just never materialized. And Steve Nash, remember, he's the guy that had the back problem and said he wasn't going to retire because he wanted to get paid the rest of his contract. He said he was just being honest. Love it. Yeah, just, Love he was it. just being dead honest. I'm not going to play. No, I'm not retiring. I'm going to be on the payroll until my last paycheck. That's basically yeah. what Steve Nash hey. said. And you can't really blame You can't have guy. It both
3: ways, you know. Yeah. We, we want him to be honest. And then when they say that, we go, oh, you can't say that. <laughs>
2: yeah, you can't say that. That's terrible. So, anyway, that's uh, – yeah, Dwight Howard. He is at the end of a long career, wasn't he? Superman for a while. Was he? what was he? Shaq yeah, I was think Superman. he still is
3: Superman. You never stop being Superman, do you? Yeah,
2: because Shaq was Superman too, though, right? Didn't when Dwight Howard? Well, Shaq's
3: while. the real Superman, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Dwight Howard's nickname was Superman. I thought it was Shaq Diesel or Shaq Fu or Shaq.
2: He's in a lot of things. Man. I don't know. Yeah, I do he was with... also
3: called the Daily. The Daily Double was his nickname. I like that nickname better than Superman.
2: <laughs> I do. Re- I was listening this morning to a talk sh- talk radio show, and uh, they were talking about when Shaq was in. At LSU, they played Notre Dame, and they had they played it in the uh, New Orleans Superdome. Or is that what it's called? Superdome? Super what?
3: I think so, yeah. Yeah.
2: So they had right? 75,000 yeah. fans watch a basketball game. They said it's surreal because it looked so small watching it from up in a football stadium, watching them play. But yeah. that many people. But I bet you if Duke and University of North Carolina, if they didn't if play they it did it, yeah. in, a, in a giant state, and they were able to do it, not in, uh, where are they playing at? Cameron, right? They're playing at Cameron.
3: Yeah, nine thousand seats.
2: Yeah, man. But I bet if they opened it up, they'd get close to that many people. But that's how good Shaq was. Because remember, they had Shaq, Stanley Roberts, and Chris Jackson, right?
3: Abdu- I think they had Mahood, Adshim, Sharif. Yeah. Yeah, that's Chris, Chris Jackson. Jackson.
2: Yeah, yeah. I remember, he had Tourettes. Later on, he got Tourettes, and he yeah, would, he would do the Tourettes, but he could shoot the lights out. He'd do
3: that. He'd do that. Yeah, he'd tweak and yeah, yeah something. Yeah. Abdul. Uh, my favorite Shaquille O'Neal nickname though was the Big Aristotle. When he nicknamed himself the big Aristotle. That's what I like he, that.
2: He named himself that?
3: Yeah. You know, when you're Shaq, you can do whatever you want. So he nicknamed himself I'm the big I'm the big Aristotle.
2: Why not, man? Absolutely. So
3: That's what you gotta do. You want a nickname, you just gotta do it yourself.
2: Yeah, that's what it's gonna come down to. That's definitely what it's gonna come down to. Hey I'm You don't wanna with, be called Nancy? No, and I don't want to be Buck O'Neill's uh I don't want to be satchel yeah. page Nancy. Absolutely not. No. <laughs> yeah. So, are you going to tell the story on air or not? How they got the Nancy? Well,
3: I don't know. It's a little off color. It's off I mean, color. it was a different. All but, right, we're a family show. And so, yeah, we love, yeah. and we love yeah. Satchel Page. You can we, look it up. You can look it up. If you want to know, it. just
2: Google it. <laughs> I'll just put it this way Satchel Page and Buck O'Neill were roommates on the road. So, somebody played and Enough Nancy. said. That's enough said. That's all I'm saying. That's enough I'm said. Saying. Hey, I forgot to mention we were talking about Manny Machado. Uh, Manny Machado, who just signed a 10-year, $300 million deal at age 26 with the San Diego Padres with a five-year player option, which means that five years, if he thinks another team can pay him more than $30 million, he can opt out of his deal. That's what that means. Wow. I forgot to mention that that whole deal is pending his physical exam. We forget that these deals can be put on a uh, kibosh because of a physical exam finding. We've seen that yeah. a few times with big players where something was found, heart murmurs, um... Lenny Bias was it? Lenny Bias that actually went to multiple different doctors to finally when they Lin let Bias, him play. Bias, Yeah, yeah. They finally let him play, and he died on the court, and one of those one of those guys finally died playing basketball. As far as you get Lenny Bias and uh, one of the other ones mixed up, but they'll find. Yeah, it was Reggie Lewis. Yeah, maybe it was Reggie Lewis. Was the I think one it was who finally, Reggie
3: Lewis died on the court. and Lenny Bias, uh, he signed the number one overall pick, and he went to a party and died of a drug overdose. Yeah, that's
2: right. Yeah. No. Yeah. Reggie Lewis yeah. was the one who finally found enough a doctor that would allow him to play, and unfortunately uh, expired of a uh, hey. condition.
3: There's reports that Bryce Harper turned down multiple $300 million offers. Wow. I guess, I guess that wasn't enough for him. Like I, I,
2: You've got to think he's in he the was, driver's seat right now, Bryce Harper, because he's, he's better putting fans in the seats. you got to have – you, would you be more likely to go to a game – you and I will go to any game, but would you be a lot more likely to go fly out to San Diego to watch the Padres because of Manny Machado, or would you be more likely to fly out and watch the Oakland A's with Bryce Harper?
3: Well, I like San Diego a lot yeah, better than yeah. Oakland. Maybe that wasn't a good uh, analogy.
2: Yeah. But I would have
3: I would have much rather flown to San Diego or driven there to watch Bryce Harper play yeah, with yeah. the Padres than Manny Machado.
2: I know, I just think he puts more people in seat and is it is That's it, just
3: cuz I don't like his attitude. But yeah, you know, I mean yeah. I, I might just admit to me old old guy being ticked off cuz he not play the game the right way, you know.
2: Yeah, but, but their stats are very very similar. You can't say that really Bryce Harper stat-wise, like you've even made an argument that Manny Machado has better stats. So it is hard to say that uh, Bryce Harper should be paid more money. But if I'm in Boris's seat right now, and you just sign Manny Machado, who's not putting a lot of people in the seats, but he has the same stats as Bryce Harper, and Bryce Harper has the uh, put people in the seats factor, I think they're gonna be, you're definitely looking at more money now. And I think it plays into Bryce Harper's more likely to get over $300 million now. And maybe he was smart Do you really? Deciding, yeah.
3: Yeah, maybe so. I almost look at it as like, in some ways, I don't know if you're in the driver's seat or not, because it's like, I, I mean, who Who's left out there? If you've already turned down three hundred million dollar offers, if this says offers, you got to believe that the Padres who are out of it. That's maybe the Phillies. That's the Nationals. You already turned that one down. Like who else has said they I'm, would be I'm willing to pay that I'm going to make a prediction
2: that here. Much. I think uh, the Phillies pay him three hundred twenty million ten year ten year contract. Three hundred twenty million. That's my prediction.
3: Well, you might be right. You might yeah. be right. I I just look at it. I mean, if you look at it from a straight you know standpoint, I think Machado's numbers are more impressive because those numbers at a shortstop are hard to find somebody to replace. Whereas Harper's numbers in outfield, you can find guys with, with somewhat similar numbers other than his massive, you know, was it 2015 when he had the MVP year where he was great, but you look at Machado, I mean, 37 homers, 107 RBIs from the shortstop position. I mean, come on, man. You're not going to, I mean, Lindor had 38 homers, Story had 27, Gregorius had 27, and then he dropped down to 23 for Bogarts. And none of those guys drove in as many runs except for Story. And uh, the batting average was nearly 300 for Machado. I think you
2: just got to have a player who's a can't-miss player. I think it's got to be a Mike Trout that's making that kind of money. I think it's Miguel Cabrera in his prime when he's winning triple crowns is when you got to be that kind of money. I just don't see Manny Machado and Bryce Harper as being the guys that are once-in-a-decade type players. Maybe Harper on his best day, but he hasn't had his best year in a long time and it's just I don't know it just doesn't seem like those are the guys that are worth spending that much money on Mike Trout I agree Mike Trout five tool player does it year in does it year out that's the kind of dude to do it early Albert Pujols first 10 years of his career that's the kind of guy to do it not the second year hey we're right back with more Docs and Jocks after this short commercial break
0: To docs and jocks,
5: brought to you in part by Sylvan Learning Center, Doctor Milton Chiropractic, and Texas Sports Hall of Fame. Touchdown! Now back to more docs and jocks with Doctor Dan
2: and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Awesome to have you join us today for catching our sports medicine uh, radio show here for the first time. Want to find out more about our radio show? Maybe myself, Dr. Dan, or my co host, Ferris Potter. You can do so by going to docsandjocks.com, D O X N J O X.com, and find out all about our show and how you can be part of our show by sending in your question, uh, ask Dr. Dan question. And I'd love to be part of our show that way as well. Ferris, we're honored to have on good friend of Docs and Jocks, good friend of mine and yours, uh, Jeremy Carver. Jeremy is a longtime uh, physical therapist who also has his training, not only a in physical therapy, but also in athletic training, as well as he's a strength and conditioning coach. The list goes on and on, Jeremy, of all the things, all your accolades, man. The letters, it's like alphabet soup after your name. So, <laughs> Thank you. hey, thanks for being on Docs and Jocks. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you know, I thought it would be fun having you on this time of the year because uh, spring training is upon us. It's starting this week. I think we have our first spring training game. I mean, so, you know, early in the season, when people are maybe uh, talking about their youngsters getting ready to play baseball, their young daughters getting ready to play softball, and we're talking about trying to keep from getting injured early in the season, what are some things, if someone is trying to prevent maybe an upper extremity shoulder problem, elbow problem early in the season, what are some of the things as a rehab specialist, or a therapist, you would recommend?
6: So, you know, oftentimes when they're, when they're tapering back into, you know, the throwing and the, the sports that they're, they're, heavily involved in they jump right into it very early in the game and so it's not they don't have a lot of time to just be like hey let's start building up into the throwing and everything else and start tapering out to uh you know you know long toss and everything else you gotta have a little bit good more baseline behind that that scapular
2: strength and that rotator cuff strength and uh Uh, People forget about the shoulder. scapular muscles. They're the muscles. So far, listening, honestly, you just said scapula, and they said, what the heck is he talking about? <laughs> that's that big wing bone back in the back, and that's a big stabilizer of the shoulder. Tell us some of those muscles of why they're so important in a overhead-throwing athlete. Why would the muscles that surround my shoulder blade have anything to do with my shoulder?
6: Yeah, so a lot of times we, we use it as, a, you know, that analogy of uh, shooting a cannon from a canoe, you know, you, yeah. you can't really do it, and our, <laughs> our, our shoulder blade, it, just like our core, you know, it, it's our stable base that everything pulls from, so it doesn't matter how how strong your bicep is, or tricep is, or, you know, your even your shoulder muscles in general, your deltoid, um, if that scapula isn't solid and, and and have a good base, then that, that arm's going to be swinging all over the place, and we're getting... You know, labral tails, we're going to get impingement syndrome, everything else. And so, you know, the two, probably the biggest two muscles that are probably the, the most important for your throwing athletes are this lower trap, which everyone's heard of it, our, our, our trapezius or that big muscle on our back. Well, the lower trap is that one that kind of helps with that upward rotation of the, our shoulder blade. Yeah. Well, with all overhead athletes, that's what we have to be able to do is position that, that shoulder up high, be able to get that arm up overhead, and be able to swing it through pretty hard. And that serratus works with that one, too.
2: Yeah, you got lots of good muscles back there to stabilize that that big scapula. If it doesn't move correctly, if it doesn't move in a nice rhythmic motion, then you're going to have problems with your shoulder for sure. sure. It is part of your shoulder, so that's is, in, in yeah. a way where you don't think of it that way. But yeah, fair you have a question for Jeremy Carver, a physical therapist.
3: Yeah, Jeremy, do you recommend like stretching for for more mobility, or just just throwing easing into it for for increased mobility in those areas, or is that even a, an issue that you try to deal with as they're getting kind of ramping back into things?
6: So you know, there, there's a. Uh... A lot of probably conflicting theories on that uh, to some level. Some people are like, hey, yeah, you know, if you're getting into it and you at least have your your 90 degrees, which most people getting into are going to have 90 degrees to 100 degrees of extra orientation. Obviously, all of your pitchers are going to have a lot more than that. Uh, But sometimes people will be like, hey, yeah, I need to get into this stretching. Uh, But especially, like, whenever you're getting into actual throwing, then yeah, I definitely recommend all the stretching and everything else because there's certain aspects of after throwing that will start getting tighter. So the back part of that shoulder, that, that posterior cuff or the back side of that rotator cuff starts getting tighter. That capsule itself starts getting a little bit tighter. And that lap. Again, we'll start re- getting really tight. And so, you know, child's pose lat stretching or your horizontal adduction stretch, kind of work on that backside of that shoulder, um, are all crucial, definitely recovery throw, uh,
2: recovery stretches uh, post-throwing. And everybody's different too, fair There's a really good study that looked at uh, how how quickly pitchers return back to their previous range of motion after they pitched a full game. Sure. So what they did was they looked at a pitcher – and they would say, okay, before the game, what is his normal range of motion for him? Because we're all different, right? Some of us follow that bell-shaped curve, we're really, really tight. Some of us follow that bell-shaped curve, we're really, really loose, we're very flexible. So they looked at pitchers, and they found that some some pitchers took 48 hours to get back to their normal range of motion. And what Jeremy's talking about, 90 degrees, lay on your back and try and rotate your shoulders, your hands, palms, you know, facing forward, how far you can pull your hands back. And so they found that some pitchers could basically be ready to pitch in 24 to 48 hours because they'd restored their normal range of motion, what they were previous pitching. Some guys took 72, 72 hours or longer. So they found that the people who tend to be the people who take a long time to return to the normal range of motion made pretty good starters. Guys who were able to return to it pretty quick made pretty good relief pitchers or closers because they could return to it. And it was shown that if you, the quicker you get back to your normal range of motion after pitching, that, that is when you can go back and probably safely throw again. If you're really, really tight in your shoulder and your capsule, going back, throwing, and trying to throw again causes a disconnect between the body and the shoulder and it causes you to have a lot of problems. So the answer to that is and the long answer and the way of saying that is we're all different. So
3: what do you guys think? I want to ask you both. For for kids out there, you know, younger kids throwing long toss um, and also like throwing with the heavy ball. Remember we showed those weighted balls you'd throw a baseball weight. I always hated doing that. I don't know if that's good or bad for you.
2: Yeah. You want to go first, Jeremy? You want me to hit that one? I'm I got, I got all kinds of theories on that. To... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's become really popular. Um, I, I,
6: I, my, my personal take is, um, I don't, I don't think it's, it's good to do that. I don't think it's, it's good to, you know, have a, a heavier ball um, and, and train and stretch that anterior capsule. It's too much already on the shoulder. They already have so much extra rotation at present. And when there's other things that people can be working on, whether it be, you know, core strength or lower body strength or just shoulder strength in general, I think that's a lot uh, better and safer option than, there, than adding weight to the ball and, and – Messing with the mechanics and everything else about that.
2: So, can you th- get throwing harder by throwing an overweighted ball? And The answer is yes, because everybody now is throwing for the. Uh, they're trying to throw the gun, you know, looking to see can I can I hit the ninety mark on a, on a radar gun? Can I hit the ninety five mark on a radar gun? Because we know that that's how scouts look at pitchers of whether or not they're good enough. So they want to get stronger on the gun. So do heavy balls? Uh, it's called overload underload theory. If you overload and throw heavy balls, can you throw harder? The answer is absolutely yes. It's just like anything else when you walk into a gym, though. When you see people doing heavy power cleans, it, there's there's a risk to the power clean, right? It's a good activity, a full-body strengthening exercise, but there is a risk if it's done poorly. So the players that are probably good at throwing heavy balls and getting better at it is if you have very, good, very very good sound throwing mechanics. And what I mean by that is that when you rock up onto your back leg and your front leg lands – Is your forearm flying out away from you? If it is, you're probably not good at throwing a heavy ball. If your elbow is above your shoulder, probably shouldn't be throwing a heavy-weighted ball. If you fly your front shoulder open when your foot lands, probably not good for you to be throwing a heavy ball. Anything that makes your body disconnect from your upper extremity, your arm, probably not good to add weight to that because you're already having poor throwing mechanics, and you're only going to exacerbate the poor throwing mechanics where that problem is going to show up at. Front of your shoulder medial elbow, you know, where you're having pain. And so one is if you're having pain when you're throwing, it's probably not a good idea to be throwing a heavy weighted ball. If you have not been evaluated by a very good therapist like Jeremy Carter, probably not Carver, probably not good to be throwing a heavy weighted ball. So at a young age I wouldn't recommend it. I would definitely make sure your throwing mechanics are very good. You don't have some of their common problems like your elbow getting above your shoulder when you're throwing your forearm flying away when you're throwing, flying your front shoulder open when you're throwing. If some of those things are going on, probably not weight. So the answer, probably not good to throw a weighted ball. The answer is you can throw harder with it. Probably not the best idea if you've never been evaluated. And you just if you just got a weighted ball. You saw, hey, this guy uses a weighted ball. I'm going to go try and f- add 10 miles an hour on my, my fastball. And you go in your backyard and you start throwing heavy weighted balls. Probably not a good idea.
3: <laughs> Not I get it. You just go out chucking, chucking heavy balls yeah, yeah, around. Yeah, yeah. And that's Arms what a lot of guys do. Flying everywhere. Yes. Yeah, we had the great <laughs> – That's uh... what kids do, though. Like yeah. they see somebody else do it. They see some YouTube of yep. like some team doing training, and they go, oh, I got to get a heavy ball. I'll just go start doing that, you know.
2: Remember, we had the great John, Dr. John Conway, one of the best uh, upper shoulder or upper extremity uh, physicians in my field uh, in, the, in the country, and he wasn't big on that program because he saw so many kids that injured their medial collateral ligament, sh- shoulder pain. But I would say Ron Wolforth, who's probably the premier throwing expert in the country at Texas Baseball Ranch, he uses weighted balls. But he only does it after he does a video analysis of you throwing and he feels you are safe to throw a weighted ball. And he does it as part of the overall program, not the only piece of your program. Same with long toss. To answer your question about long toss, probably a good good portion of your offseason program ought to be doing some long toss to strengthen your arm. But as you get closer to the season – You want to narrow that into what you're more of what you're doing on the mound, which is throwing from above to below on a mound and make sure that that is correct and you're getting that down. Probably not a good in season program to be throwing a lot of long toss, but not a bad off season program. But it isn't the only thing you should be doing. You should be doing those exercises like Jeremy talked about. Talk about some, if you're going to work with bands uh, in a pitcher, what would be some of the band work you would be doing that someone at home, if they're listening, you talked about strengthening the muscles of the shoulder. What are some of the band work you would do with a shoulder?
6: Yeah, you know, and I think most people, if they've played. You know baseball before they're they're pretty familiar with the just the basic throwers 10 which developed you know years years ago throwers 10 uh, throwers 10 program yeah, yeah, yeah you can look that up with it. everybody googles
2: now so yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can google that throwers 10 yeah
6: throwers 10 i mean that's been around for so long um um, but then, you know, the Andrews Institute, I think they have kind of developed, and, and, and Kevin Wilk and, and them have kind of developed this advanced throwers program too, which is like these more endurance-based exercises challenging, you know, the core and uh, that endurance of the rotator cuff itself. Um, but then the other crucial component is, you know, you know we're all familiar with the internal and external rotation elements, but then also trying to feed into that that multiplanar perspective of getting the full body, Body movement, so where you are integrating the legs and you are integrating the core throughout that that extra, that rotation exercise. So right. let's say if it's going to be a you know a high row into external rotation, we're also getting maybe like a staggered stance lunge position into. A scap retraction or high There's a lot position. to it isn't There's there? So if you're so so. out there listening, but if you want to yeah. see
2: a guy like Jeremy Carver, a great physical therapist, also an athletic trainer, also a strength and conditioning coach, you can come to Texas Sport and Spine Physical Therapy powered by Exos and uh, become part of his uh, training program. He does a great job working with all sorts of young athletes, and he'd be a great job, do a great job for you as well so jeremy I want to say thank you for being on docs and jocks that's thank a big jeremy, topic so man. talk about overhead throwing athletes we could do that uh, all day it's a very complicated uh, talk but man you make it sound easy so hey come visit jeremy carver texas sports spine physical therapy powered by exos we'll be right back for docs and jocks
5: You're listening to Docs and Jocks. Brought to you in part by West Texas Neurosurgery, Abilene Tech, and Sports Clips. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris.
2: Hey, welcome back to Doctor and Doctors Sports Medicine Radio Show. I am Doctor Dan, a longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sport and Spine. If you ever want to find out more about how you can see me as a patient, just go to Texas Sport and Spines website, and we'd love to have you be part of our uh, our patient base there as well. Join each week with my co-host Ferris Potter, the longtime sports broadcaster, and by the way, Hollywood actor. Man, I didn't I haven't mentioned that in a lot a long time, Ferris. Yeah,
3: you haven't mentioned that in a long time. No, dude. I don't
2: know why. You know, it's just because I'm so used to being around your celebrity. I'm just used to it now. It's just like just it's just commonplace now. Ferris was on Days of Our Lives, Unsolved Mysteries. Uh, Rick, uh, Dick Clark's Rockin' New Year's Eve He's been everywhere, man So he's not just A sports broadcaster He's not just my co-host On Docs and Jocks He's also multifaceted And also was in Numerous, numerous plays As well At all levels I've been in King Lear What was Pir- your favorite Pirates, play That I did? Pirates of the Pins Dance can't. Was not it I fell asleep during that one Just being just being real with you Which
3: one did not you fall asleep in? Uh,
2: I think I fell asleep <laughs> In King Lear as well But there was kind of A pretty girl in that one I remember that So I kind of watched that girl She was kind of pretty That play that's probably a bad reason to not, <laughs> not fall asleep in plays. We were in college, so yeah. But no, they they were all good. I did go to. By the way, our listening audience, uh, if you're in, uh, if you ever get to watch um, Twelve Angry Men, it's about a jury, juror, juror of the jurors that uh, Henry Fonda was in. It's about a jurors that talk about the greatness of uh, trying to find an innocent man innocent. And that was a really good play. I enjoyed that. I went to that this weekend. I texted Ferris said this is the first play I've been to since this is the first play I've been to that did not have you in the uh, cast. So, pretty
3: neat. That that was a present to your wife on Valentine's Day, right? Yes,
2: it was. Yes, it was. Because you're
3: a good guy. Did she enjoy it?
2: She did. She enjoyed it. I actually thought I found it good, too. I'm not a big musical guy, but I I like a good play. Theater's
3: good, man. Life theater's, when it's good, life theater's awesome, man.
2: Yeah. What's your favorite play of all time? Since we're, I know we're sports medicine radio show here, but we- Oh,
3: I mean, I I love Arsenic and Ol' Lace. Uh, You know, Cary Grant did the movie version of that. And I, I love any Neil Simon. I'm a big comedy guy, you know? Um, but I I like musicals. I think they're a lot of fun. So
2: I can't remember if you were in this one. or I saw this somewhere else. It was in college called Noises Off. Did you? Is that one you were in where they did that? I didn't
3: know that. That came out after after. I think that was after me. They made a movie out of it with, with uh, John Ritter. Rest, yeah. in, rest in peace and yeah. some other guys. But uh, yeah, that's a funny one though too. Yep.
2: Yeah, that was a really really.
3: I good like show. comedies. Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Hey, I just wanted to get, catch up on uh, a story here that we've talked about this a lot on air, but. As we age, sometimes even the great ones uh, have to have a hard time and finally have to say, I've had enough, and it's time to hang them up. And that's what happened. Father time always catches up, and it did so this week with uh, George St. Pierre. He is the arguably the greatest MMA fighter ever. He decides to retire at age 37. He is being trying to be talked out of it by several of his uh, competitors who want to fight him one more time. But uh, one of only four fighters to ever hold a championship in UFC fighting at two different um, weight categories one of the guys trying to talk him out of retiring is uh, wants to meet him at the 155 category, which would mean St. Pierre would have to lose quite a bit of weight, and this guy would have to come up and meet each other. But uh, it never fails uh, to amaze me when the great ones finally decide to retire. He tried to keep it going. He won his last bout, and he won the championship, I believe, at uh, man, I think it was the middle middleweight. But he uh, decides to hang it up because he can't get another fight that he is for another championship. But it's uh, pretty amazing uh, losing weight and cutting weight and holding two weight categories at the same time. You're a wrestler, Fairs. Tell us how hard it was to try and either gain weight to wrestle at a higher level or lose weight, cut weight, to try and wrestle at a lower level.
3: Yeah, gaining weight is fun, right, because you can eat whatever you want and do all that stuff. Cutting weight was horrible, man, because you just kind of had to basically starve yourself and you had to work out with plastics on and all that stuff. Thankfully, They've outlawed that stuff in high school. I mean, guys can still do it on their own outside of that. But yeah, cutting weight is pretty ridiculous. And we know, I mean, you can cut a ton of weight fast. You know, with wrestling, we usually weighed in the you know, right before. So you'd weigh in and you'd wrestle like a couple hours later. But these guys now, they, they do weigh ins the day before or two days before intentionally because these guys cut weight. And sometimes guys, let's say it's a 155 match, right? If St. Pierre cut down to 155, He'd probably be 170 by the time he, in two days, by the yep. time he fought, you know? So it's not uncommon for these guys to, uh, to fight at 155 and one guy be 153 and one guy be 172 when they actually fight. That's
2: amazing. Yeah.
3: It can't, it can't be that healthy for you. I, I don't think so. But, you know, George St. Pierre was, he was always, man, he was into diet. He was into exercise. He kept track of everything he ate. So I'm sure when he cuts weight and when he adds weight, he does it under medical supervision and those types of things. But most people, you know, in high school and college, when you're doing it, you know, you don't have that kind of supervision, so it's pretty dangerous. Yeah, to
2: your point about it not being healthy. The reason it's not healthy to cut weight that fast is, but majority of our body weight is is made up of our, of our, fluid, our water weight. So you, if you're really when you're losing weight that fast, you're cutting down tremendously on the amount of fluid you're carrying, so you're becoming severely dehydrated. And when you do so, remember your kidneys are your filter in your body. So if you suddenly took all the water away from a filter and the filter's still running, you probably have that sound, you know, you can imagine that sound in your swimming pool when the filter's still running, but there's no water going through it. It causes everything to go run poorly. And so your kidneys have to have some fluid to try and maintain their viability. So you start going into severe renal issues if you completely drop all your water weight. And then once you start going into renal failure, I'm telling you, electrolytes start going crazy, potassium starts getting out of whack, your sodium gets out of whack, because it's what regulates it. If it's not able to regulate it because it's not getting in fluid, bad things start happening pretty fast. I had a professor one time tell us uh, that for a life to occur, you have to have your heart pumping blood around, you have to have your kidneys uh, pumping fluid around, and you have to have your lungs moving air in and out he was trying to break down internal medicine make it real simple but that's that was basically what he said you have to have fluid in your kidneys for it to pump around you have to have your blood being circulated by your heart and you have to have your lungs moving air in and out it's a pretty simplistic way of thinking it but it does happen and there have been deaths related to people cutting weight in both wrestling and UFC MMA fighting that is a very very dangerous to your overall health but you're exactly right so yeah it's not always the easiest thing to do and what they do the reason they can gain all that weight back like you talked about is because you're just replacing your your fluid again right you're replacing all the fluid so you've just really changed the majority of your body weight by cutting all the fluids out very dangerous
3: yeah we you know back in the day we used to do whatever it took to lose that weight i didn't have to do it a lot because i was a smaller guy anyways but yeah i had buddies and they just looked like death they wouldn't eat for like two days and you'd still be going through workouts and everything it was i'm amazed we didn't have more more kids hurt themselves really bad you know
2: yeah you get really you really start kind of getting uh, cognitively uh, different too you change your personality you also uh, start uh, feeling as though you're getting a little foggy in your brain your reflexes go down tremendously remember if you just get a little bit dehydrated we're talking about 5 10 15% dehydrated which doesn't sound like a lot but you your sports your your ability to be performing at your highest level drops dramatically and that's just with a little dehydration when you start pumping it down into the uh, I'm going to lose like you know 40% of my weight so I can drop mm. down weight, you really start putting things at a lot of danger. So it's a bad idea if you ever want to try and work out dehydrated to start with, you're not going to be at your peak performance and it's dangerous to your health as well. So that's why they started putting all these limits in on these high school players because you're like, if you, we don't want you trying to kill yourself to cut a weight. So now they put all these restrictions when you weigh in, how quickly you you work out after or play after you weigh in. So UFC fighting is the exact same way. Yeah, but I think uh, George uh, St. Pierre, he's going to be uh, one that's missed, man. I miss a lot of those guys. Anderson Silva tries, trying to make a comeback, George St. Pierre. A lot of those guys, uh, I think it's hard for them to say, okay, I've had enough. And when you're talking about MMA fighting, I think that's a pretty young man's game in general. If you have the skill set, obviously, to do mixed martial arts, that's a great skill. But when someone else who's younger than you has that same skill set, it tends to be a younger, man, younger man's game for sure. But
3: yeah, yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. I mean, I you don't want to mess around with those fight games, man, because you know we see guys we see guys in football, basketball, baseball where they age really fast, like right before our eyes. And you know that's okay. You walk off the field, whatever. You age before our eyes in an MMA <laughs> fight, and yeah. you're. Uh, Waking up 40 seconds later, you know, yeah. with a, with a cracked-in skull.
2: Yeah, exactly. So very, very dangerous. And So we'll uh, see where that goes with if he does stay uh, retired or he comes back because someone finally talks him into coming back. The guy that is uh, wanting to uh, challenge him is the one that beat uh, Conor McGregor. I always have a hard time saying his last name, but that's who's actually – Conor McGregor. Yeah, so he's the guy that beat Conor McGregor. He's the one now telling uh, George St. Pierre, I grew up watching your games. How would you like to be George St. Pierre and this guy's challenging you to fight by saying – I grew up uh, watching you as a kid. I'm, you're the reason I went into MMA, and I want to kick your butt. <laughs> I want to beat you up, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
3: who, who, yeah. Who, who was that guy? Oh, yeah, that Khabib guy yes. or whatever Yeah, Khabib, was? Yeah, Khabib,
2: yeah. Yeah.
3: Numago, uh whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Who, would, who, would,
2: who was your guy yeah. growing up that you would now challenge to uh, – you want to challenge him in baseball or something? Who was your favorite, George Brett?
3: Yeah, Cookie Rojas and George Brett.
2: Or the guy that you hated enough that you would like to challenge him now, be like uh, Reggie oh, Jackson. Oh, uh,
3: yeah. Name any New York Yankee from 1970
2: to 1985. <laughs> yeah. Bucky, Bucky Dent, Craig Nettles. Yeah, cheap
3: Craig Nettles, <laughs> stinking cheater.
2: Yeah, all those guys. Those any are,
3: of those guys, Chris Chambliss. That's what Paul Blair, Mickey, Willie Randolph,
2: Mickey Rivers. But that's who I uh, like.
3: Mickey Rivers, he was awesome.
2: <laughs> but that he is George St. Pierre. That's uh. That's what uh, his, his – uh, I
3: wouldn't fight that guy. The problem with those guys is they always think they're tough enough. They always think they're not going to lose. But, man, you get a guy who's that skilled and that much younger than you. I mean, it, I know experience does count for a lot. But at, at, in that game, man, I mean, 10 years younger, 12 years younger.
2: Oof, yeah. And here's what happens as up. you age, by the way. This is why uh, aging does what it does to your body. Remember, you have what's called sarcopenia. It means you, after the age when you peak, around 26 or so, you start losing about 1% of your body mass, I'm sorry, your muscle mass, every year on average. So it doesn't add like, it'll seem like a lot, but when you take a guy who's you know, 24, 25, and he's fighting a guy that's 37, you know, maybe he has 13% less muscle mass than the guy he's fighting suddenly. So your reflexes get a little bit slower. And as you age, you lose your muscle mass. You can still lift and, and keep yourself strong to where you try and lower the amount of sarcopenia or the amount of actual muscle loss you average on a year, but it goes down over time. and So that's why we see people, as they age, getting weaker, and that's why it's so important. So I'm going to take this out of athletics for a minute. And, and Ferris has heard me say this story so many times, and it's how important it is that I need to say it again. If you want to age well, you need to maintain strength. In fact, I believe it so much that I feel like in nursing homes and rest homes and elderly homes, that instead of having just treadmills, cardiovascular, aerobic activities for them to do, there needs to be some type of resistance training there, whether it's light bands, light weights, weights in general, things that make your muscles break down and that when they heal, you increase your muscle mass. If you want to age well, I'm just telling you, I do this all day, every day. I take care of the elderly who have knee, hip, back, shoulder problems. If you want to age well, be involved in a, a routine strengthening program three to four times a week, something that makes you get keep your strength. Because as we age, we increase our risk for falls. We increase our rip for, risk of fractures because of those falls. We uh, want to be able to stay active and go watch you know, our kids play sports, our grandkids play sports. If you're going to do that, Those are all quality of life issues. You want to stay strong. So don't just focus on walking. Don't just focus on treadmills. Don't just focus on stationary biking. Those are good for your heart, and they're great. Man, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those, but if you want a good quality of life, as you age, work on strengthening. Something that maintains your muscle mass, that prevents you from that natural muscle mass loss we have over time called sarcopenia. Really work on strengthening the muscles that really matter. So your glutes, your core. You know, obviously your arms and your legs, but really focus on the foundation, your core, your glutes, the big muscles that stabilize you. By the way, it also increases your ability to burn more calories because that's your, your basal metabolic rate is made up of how much calories you use just to maintain your normal muscle mass. So that's one of the biggest burners of calories. Well, muscle mass takes more calories. So if you want to attain optimal body weight as you age, also work on core stability, strength training, resistance training. Okay, Fairish, that's my pulpit. I've said that so many times on the show. If people haven't gotten that here on Docs and Jocks, they just haven't been listening.
3: Love it, man. I am a fan of moving some weight. Yep. Some high-intensity training or just lifting some weight, some slow uh, movement, but pushing some weight, keeping yeah. that strength up. Yeah, because – what you always hear is, "Oh, I tripped and fell, or I was yep. trying to lift my leg up over the sidewalk, or you know, I started to fall and I couldn't catch myself, and that type of thing." And then that leads to a broken hip, or leads to, and then you're sidetracked. You're out for you know a couple of weeks exactly. or a couple of months. And
2: you can change that stay by doing strengthening. Stay strong, man. It's a great point. We need to make that our focus here on Docs and Jocks. Stay strong. It's our new catchphrase. Hey, we're we'll right back with more Docs and Jocks after this short commercial break.
5: You're listening to Docs and Jocks. Brought to you in part by Abilene Sports Medicine, Hardin-Simmons University, and Lawrence Hall Chevrolet.
2: Touchdown.
5: Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris.
2: Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Great to have you join us today. Hey, appreciate you listening to both our first and second hour. If you missed either one, you can go back and listen to that on our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D O X N J O X. Or you can follow us on our uh, our podcast, our national radio show on SB Nation. You can go to our arena podcast there as well. And man, I'll be every part of our show any way you can. Now, remember, you follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that at Docs and Jocks, at Docs and Jocks, D O X N J O X. Man, I appreciate them all our great guests this week, Coach Jesse Burleson with the Hardin Simmons University, as well as uh, Cole, uh, as, as well as uh, Jeremy Carver, our physical therapist, uh, talking about upper extremity injuries. Uh, thought we would talk Ferris on our last uh, segment here. Man, we've had a uh, injury now to Joel Embiid. He is going to be out at least a week. With uh, he's developed a knee soreness. He, they did an MRI, which didn't show any obvious structural damage, other than some bad tendonitis. Here's my question for you. He played in this last week's all-star game, NBA all-star game, where he scored 10 points at 12 rebounds. They already had a depleted uh, lineup when uh, Furkan Kormaz is uh, their point guard, is now out with a torn meniscus. My question to you is if he was having a sore knee, which he was talking about prior to the uh, all-star game, if he, you were the uh, Philadelphia 76ers, would you be a little bit upset that he played in an all-star game when you need him in the stretch run and they're a good team looking good for the playoffs?
3: You know, I heard a guy say that if you get angry, it's because you have unrealized expectations. And so I think if you expect NBA players to make the right decision, you're going to be angry because they're never going to make the right decision. Heck yeah,
2: dude. Don't give me old freaking take the time off. Yeah, yeah. Don't rest it. Don't go
3: play if your knees sore.
2: Yeah, because uh, Joel Embiid is a big guy. When you start hearing knee soreness in a big man like that, you always get worried because once the lower extremities start going to big guys, whether it's Feet like Yao Ming or knees or backs, you're always like, uh-oh, here it comes, man. Take the
3: break, man. And,
2: and he is a force to be reckoned with. I'm telling you, they beat the uh, Golden State Warriors right around Christmas time, and they they looked really, really good doing so. So if that team can stay healthy with Ben Simmons and now Jimmy Butler and uh, now with a, with a healthy Joel Embiid, they're really good. But the, I they, like them. They can't lose a lot of players, though, and stay, stay good, so. Definitely.
3: No, I think we should buy Philadelphia 76ers T-shirts. I'm rooting for them all the way. Let's do it. I'm a Sixers fan. I, okay. You were like, you grew up loving Doc. You probably got an old one, oh, right? Oh,
2: Dr. J, man. I had Dr. J's uniform. I wore my socks the same way he did. He was the man. Man, I did a finger roll, even though I couldn't uh, get it close Shit. to the basket. I didn't Couldn't quite get I as
3: high did. as he yeah. could toward the rim.
2: Yeah. Hey, I want to say thank you to all our wonderful listeners here on Docs & Jocks, Sports Medicine Radio Show. We'll see you next week. Remember, you always uh, can contact me by going to our uh, website, doxandjocks.com, and click on uh, Contact Us, and I'll, I'll get your question on air. We'll be right back from uh, next week on Dox and Jocks. See you so long.